0: Well, I wanted to talk about uh, this image, and I'm, I'm obviously I'm pretty excited about this. You know, for for someone who's been communicating this for probably a dozen years, I've been to every year. I go to the discipleship schools, and I return every year and teaching, not always exactly the same material, but we we see so many great things happening from school to school. And uh, see God heal and restore and deliver both young men and young women, and give them a revelation of who they are. And, but when I saw this, when I saw this, this, this uh, graphic that this uh, pastor's daughter in Canada did, it so struck my heart. And we've had, you know, even different young high school gals looking at this graphic they start looking at it, and they just start weeping, because they know this is describing who they are. This is their life. this is the sense of their life They, 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 they actually feel this way they, they feel like this is me. this is what i've this is what i''ve experienced. This is how I feel. I feel like I have to hold a mask up to try to navigate through my life i i 'm wounded i 'm scarred i 'm broken but i have to, i have to do the, i have to do the dance i have to play i have to i have to get into the charade i have to I have to pretend like this is my life, that, I'm, that the life I have is, is full of joy and I have a smile on my face. And, but if you could really know what's inside me, if you could really understand how I feel about my life and the things I've done and, and the things I've experienced or the pressure I feel I'm under all the time. And this is a generation. This is, this is what we're dealing with. And, and I'm, I'm fully convinced as a, as a dad and a, and a leader in the church that unless we deal... With this issue and these kinds of issues in terms of sexuality among young people, that we are kidding ourselves that we think we're going to have any kind of spiritual awakening or spiritual renewal, because we can have a youth movement for ten years, but you know what? The bedroom is not going to be happy when you start a family and start and try to have raise children on your own and, and relate to your husband or wife. It's going to be a mess, especially if you're bringing baggage from the past and, and all the wounds, and try to and you think you're going to. See we have a we have this message going out to this generation they they think they can walk down an aisle and god well, is going to flip a switch and erase all the negative things that have happened all the negative sexual experiences that you've had compounded negative sexual experiences and we're just going to flip a switch and go away because you walked down an aisle what a fantasy how how can we think that as as moms and dads and even leaders in the church that that that, that by some magic walk down an aisle some beautiful music's played that everything's just going to go away. And you're going to have this, this harmony. And, and then, again, the bad news is the good news. The scripture says this. It says in Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And today we're going to expose some things, but that's, that's the good news. We have to expose things. We have to talk about the reality of what your generation is experiencing and be very plain about it so we can move forward to rebuilding and recreating something that's going to be a blessing to you. And the Jeremiah mandate was this. The Jeremiah, the the sequence of Jeremiah was he was calling. He said, I'm going to uproot, overthrow, cast down, and destroy. Then I'm going to build and plant. And the prophetic church has to trash the old system so thoroughly before we begin to build that new thing. So that's what we're going to talk about. I to uh, Hopefully by the time we're done, you're thinking, yeah, this is really, really broken. And I've been burned by it myself. I've, I've experienced it. I've got involved in some of this stuff. And I am broken myself. So sit up. Tune in. We're going to keep talking about it. So this image, when I see this image, I just, I thought, Lord, this is a description. Because there is, there is this message. And there is this demonic assault against daughters. And, and, and young women, young women are doing, they, they literally, when I talk to them, they say this, they say, I am doing things I don't want to do, and I have become someone I don't want to be to try to get the love I know I want to have as a young woman. Does that sound familiar? They feel pressured into doing things they don't want to do and becoming someone they don't really even want to be to try to get the love they know they want to have. It's like this horrible catch-22. There's no way out. When they begin to give themselves to this, destruction follows. Let let me just say it this way. There's there's been an identity theft on a generation. That's how I I view it. There's been an identity theft on a generation. I, I looked up identity theft. I thought... Let me just look up the regular identity theft. And you, you think about the, you know, all these statistics. There's 10 million victims of identity theft just in 2008 alone. And some find out in three months. Some people don't even find out about identity theft for four years. That means it's going on all the time without them knowing about it. But I thought this stuff about identity theft, it pales in comparison to the bankruptcy of dreams of a generation. When you, think about it, when you think about this demonic imprint that the enemy wants to put on every daughter, now listen, men, I'm talking to you again, okay? When I'm talking about this demonic imprint on a daughter, I'm talking to the men, because remember the sequence in the garden. Remember the sequence in the garden. What was the sequence in the garden? The snake came knocking on the door, and who did he talk to first? He talked to the woman, didn't he? He messed with her thinking, The boundaries, the beautiful boundaries, the prohibitions that God had laid out out of his love, got to her, altered her mindset, her thinking, and then she then accessed the lower nature of that man appealing to him. Here, have a bite of the apple or whatever. Same sequence goes on today. The same sequence is happening. The the devil targets the daughter. If he can change how she thinks, how she sees herself, her identity, her value... If, if, if her sexuality becomes her primary part of her identity, then she's going to use that sexuality to access the lower nature of that young man and activate his lust, and they're both going to get taken out of God's destiny in their lives. They're both going to miss out on the true identity that God has for them. They're going to both miss out on that destiny and that place of service in the kingdom of God. It's going to be wholesale destruction. And so the sequence always it seems to go to the woman, she becomes somebody she is no, doesn't really want to be. She begins to do things she doesn't want to do to try to get the love she wants to have. And then that channels and accesses to the young man where his lower nature is, is, is kind of appealed to. We see that so clearly. And, you know, God's identity is, is, is different. He says, Let's, let us make man, Genesis one twenty six. let me just read that. Talks about the identity that God has Very simple. This, there is an identity that God has. God God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And, le, and, and that's, that's that. Let me just say that again. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God has an identity, and the enemy has an identity. And there's this war over identity. Let me, let me tell you this story of, of how, how this came about in my mind, how strongly when he, when, he spoke to the, when he spoke to me about this initially. I was speaking at this conference and I remember being in this room and I remember seeing two young two young women sitting at the conference. And I remember sensing about them this brokenness. I could see I could see that the identity theft had taken place in their life. It was like I you could look at them, you could see it because because that spirit, that sensuality, that seduction that that value, their, their identity and their value had become their sexuality. Now when I say that, to, the young men know what I'm talking about because when a woman walks in a room that has that spirit strongly on her, all the guys' heads turn. It, it's like, they don't want them to turn, but it's like, whoa, you're, you're very aware that that daughter, in every encounter she has, she's going to create a sexual tension between her, herself and this young man there's going to be a sexual tension created in this encounter and and she she walks in and she knows and she knows what she's doing when she stands and and how she walks and everything about she's she has taken this identity on this demonic imprint has has come on her and has has stamped her identity and this has become her value her worth and who she, and this is her this is her identity and I saw that on these young women. And, I, and as a dad, I said, I want them. I, Lord, I want them. I want them. I want you to break the stronghold over their lives. I want you to, to unmask this thing in their lives. I want you to expose it. And I've seen them do that. I was preaching a message and, and similar to this probably. And, and I, it's not like I'm a gimmick preacher, like saying, oh, yeah, I got this little message. I'm trying to make something happen here. I sincerely as a father, uh, there was something in my heart that says, "I don't want their dreams destroyed. I know where this is going for them." Because I've sat with too many young women on my couch in my living room, and I've, t- I've counseled too many married couples when they, have, when they have all this stuff going on in their life in the wake of that identity theft, where that daughter's value and her worth has become her, her body, her physical attributes, her sexuality. I know it. It's, it's the pathway to dreams being destroyed and heartache and sorrow and, and a life of holding the mask up. A, a weariness of holding this thing up and after a while you just can't even keep it up. Every once in a while it slips down and you see you get a glimpse of, of really what's behind it. You see, the, you see the mask. You see the wounds. You see the... And you think, what's her future going to be like? Who's going to undo the repeated damage she's experienced already in her young life. There isn't a magic wand. But we know the Lord is the God of restoration. Here's here's the good news. I mean, regardless of who you are today in this room, regardless of what you've done as a young man or young woman, God is a God of restoration. And, and it says, I will restore the years the locust has eaten. And the scripture also says that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper and that... And God can take all things and work them together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There are messages of restoration and promises of restoration, and we hold to those. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to describe the damage being done. Because when we talk about what's happening to a young generation, it gives them permission to say, you know, it happened to me. When we don't talk about this stuff, everybody just takes the stuff and they stuff it. You know, I've watched daughters, I mean I'm telling you, know, I tell you this, these cracks are there on that face symbolizing the woundedness, but I've watched daughters that plant gardens on dead things. Daughters are experts at planting gardens on dead things. They're gonna, they're gonna get a flower, they're gonna grow a flower bed, and they're gonna try to get as many pretty flowers on top of those dead things. They're experts at painting the closet white, the closet door white, and putting a little bouquet or a ribbon on it saying, everything is happy in here. I got a little pink padlock. Don't you go near this closet. The closet is full of all my secrets and all my brokenness and all my shame. I've watched it. And God lovingly, God lovingly wants to come and begin to break off those padlocks and open the, tear the door off the closet. Lovingly tear the door off the closet and begin to release his healing and his restoration into the hearts of a generation who have been lied to and where that that image that demonic identity that, that that identity has been stamped upon them so i i saw those daughters and i i just like a dad i just said i want them lord i want them and i just began to speak and the lord very clearly said to me and, and i he started a m- micro conversation with me actually i was preaching and then he he started a micro conversation with me and he said he said they're not going to repent it made me it really it bothered me I said Lord what do you mean they're not going to repent I'm a repentance guy this is important they need to come to this place of seeing what's happened in their life and they're accountable for their decisions and and Lord I want to make a pathway for them to come and be healed and be restored so they don't have to carry this stuff around in their spirit and I kept preaching my message, and then he said, they, they can't repent. And, I, and, it, and, and, and it kind of freaked me out, because I, I thought, Lord, that's like against the Bible. That's, that's heresy. I mean, you can't say that. you know. That's, that's like, wait a minute. You can't say they can't repent. That's, that is, that's heresy. That's, that, that's I'm, I'm, I mean, the Bible is all about repentance, and, and it was the Lord sort of saying, well, now that I've got your attention, Jim... Let me tell you what I mean. Let me, let me explain what, what, what I'm trying to say to you. And, and he, he just said that these young women, he said these young women are intuitive. They, they have their little radar up. They have their little, their little radar. They, 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 they understand atmosphere. They, they aren't going to give up what little attention they are getting from the young men in their lives and all the pain that goes with it, to give themselves into a system where the church and the family of God is not giving their heart to them to meet the needs they have as young women in their lives. I thought, whoa, that's say that again, Lord. And he, he said it again to me. And, and he said, of course they're responsible to repent. Of course any person can repent. But do you understand that this is about atmosphere, this is about a generation that is unaware of atmosphere. And this is, about a, this is about a leadership issue. He began to say to me, this is about leaders creating atmospheres for young men and young women where, where their needs can be met in the church of Jesus Christ. And that young women are not going to present their pain and their hurt when there's no one that's going to be like a dad to them. Now I understand, here's the scripture for this. Let me, let me give you the scripture for it. One scripture is this. It's about the vertical. So I will be, I will be a father to the fatherless. We can talk about daughters all day long. We can talk about the, their fathers in their life and their fathers that did, did these things or didn't do things in their life and, and, and the brokenness in a daughter's life because of her father's love or the absence of her father's love the brokenness in young men's lives because of the presence of a dad or, or the absence of a father. But ultimately, God says, I want to be a father to the fatherless. Ultimately, God can be that, 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 that father that heals and restores. And, and then that relationship with that father can create a, a, a connection where, the, where there's, there's the life of God. But but the second thing is, is I, I want to set the fatherless in families. I want to I connect the fatherless in families. And so there's this, there's this other dimension of the life in Christ where where our needs are met on a horizontal level. There are pastors that meet our needs. There are fathers and spiritual moms and dads. There's the community of brothers and sisters together where those needs are met. And I believe we can create atmospheres and that leaders can create atmospheres where where young men and young women's needs can be met for community and for in relationship, where they can, where they can have relationships that are healthy, they're positive, they don't have to be sexual or over you know, emotional, emotional, kind of these emotional promiscuity relationships where you're giving your heart away right away or certainly not physical promiscuity where you're, where you're walking in impurity, but where you can have relationships that are, are righteous relationships and where your needs as a young woman can be met in the body of Christ, and, and, or you're protected. Yep. Wouldn't that be great? To see that spirit broken off a generation of young women. Amen. See, the reason young women take that spirit, when that, that, when that enemy comes and says, I want to stamp you with this new identity. I want your value and your worth and your identity to be your sexuality. This is the answer to your dreams. Do you understand how the young men are going to think about you? If you just allow this to be your identity, all your dreams are going to come true. This is the message of darkness. Do you understand that? That's the message. This is the message that the enemy is coming with this. He's knocking on the door with a message of darkness saying, if you will let me mark you and stamp you with this image, your dreams will come true. That's what's going on. That's, the, that's, the, that's, that, that's that demonic approach to a daughter, that, that image. He wants to stamp that image on a generation. So when he, when he said that to me, I thought, it's, he said it's a leadership issue, and I, I begin to think, Lord, I want to speak to leaders and say, I want to challenge them to be intentional about creating an atmosphere where they are intentionally creating an atmosphere of safety. young young men and young women to relate and have relationships and that that daughters can have their needs met by fathers by spiritual moms and dads who are giving their heart turning their heart to the next generation i remember being in south africa i remember the same thing happened to me again i remember preaching uh at this conference and i remember the, the the women who had been so hurt in this culture looking at me and they had their arms crossed and they were looking at me as I, was, as I ended this conference and they said, they were saying this silently to me. They, they had their arms folded saying, I am not going to come to the altar and expose my pain and my hurt and all the brokenness of my life. I'm not coming. Listen, Pastor Jim, you may love your daughters. I, I, it's great to hear all the stories about you and your daughters and how you love the daughters and that's wonderful, but, 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 but we're not going to bring our pain to the altar. We're not gonna open up these deep wounds in our life. Because our men, you're gonna get on a plane in a week and you're gonna be gone. But our men don't get it. Our men are not here. Our men are not turning up. Our men are the ones who have abused us and molested us and assaulted us and and, and and attack us in the in the in the mango trees and and our men have done that. Our men, we don't feel safe with our men. Our men haven't turned their hearts. Our, our brothers look at us like sexual objects. Our fathers are touching us in the wrong way. So we're going to just keep our pain and not even present ourselves for healing. And we're just going to be wounded. And we're just going to stay in the same state we are. And it made me just think, oh God, we have, we have to say, we have to say we're going to go to war against this thing. We're going to assault this spirit. We're going to confront it. And we're going to begin to call brothers and fathers to understand there's a war against the daughters. And say it so many times that the dads begin to understand it. They're going to begin to understand the pressure against the daughter's heart. They're going to begin to understand the lies that have been foisted upon them and what it it does to them. How severely it affects the daughter and her identity and her self-image. Let me show you some scenarios here. One of them is in Daniel chapter 3. You just look at it with me. And It's, it's interesting. These, there's these young people have been taken captive into this foreign land and there's this these false gods and this, this whole system of it's completely different than what they had been raised in as Hebrews. And there's this this image is put up, and there's this command made. And they're commanded to worship and bow down to this image. At the, when, when the music starts, it says, when the music starts, you're to bow down to this image. Verse 15, it says, if you're ready, the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the music, you fall down and worship the image I've, I've made if you do not worship, you will be immediately cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? See, they're, they're asked to bow down to this image. And it's like a generation that's been asked to bow down to an image. See, in, in, in a sense, we've, we've lifted this image up. Think about what's in the culture. Think about really what is presented to the daughters in this culture, guys. I mean, you see all the images, you see the TV shows, you see the talk about sexuality, you see the fashion magazines, the swimsuit magazine, you know, the, the advertisement for swimsuits. I mean, everywhere you turn, it says this, it says this is a daughter, this is a young woman, and her value is this. Everywhere you look, this is the message. I mean, it gets so oppressive, it gets so old. There's Where do you go to get away from it? Where can you hide from this? And it's really like this image, it's like this image has been lifted up, and, it, and it's so interesting where it was lifted up. It was lifted up in Babylon, okay? What the, you know what the word for Babylon is? It means confusion. And is there a generation that's confused about who they are? Come on. It's so symbolic, this image lifted up. Babylon, and where, where in Babylon? On the plain of Dura. You know what the plain of Dura meant? It meant circling around and around and around. So you've got a generation going around the mountain a million times. How many times do you have to go through the same thing before you learn something about it? Have any of you repeated things that you've done and you tell yourself, I'm never doing that again. What am I doing with myself? I can't believe I did this again. How many of you have done that? Come on, look at the hands. I mean, because you think, what is, because you're in Babylon, you're confused, there's a demonic assault against the generation, there's an image that's lifted up saying, worship me, you will worship me. I command you to worship me. And you're circling, it's on the plain of Dura where you're circling. It's like, here we go again, here we go again, here I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna try again. Oh, it's a new guy. He won't be like the other guys. This will be a new relationship. It's going to be wonderful. And there's all the excitement of the new relationship. All the excitement, all the fantasy, all the projection. But what, but what? Because it's based in sexuality. It's based on why is he knocking on your door? Because I took the image. And I've, I've been advertising. Right? That's the, the new start of a relationship. I took the image and I'm advertising. And so what's going to happen? The foundation of the relationship is sexual and it's going to end up in the same old place again. Here we are again. Around and around and around we go. And look at verse 16. Here's the generation that says, I'm not, this is not what we're about. I love this declaration. This is a declaration for a generation. I'm asking you to have that in your spirit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded, replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be made known to you, O king. We are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Period. See, we're always looking for methods to bring down the strongholds, and you know that God's method has always been consecration. We're looking for some magic wand to reform our culture. And look at, look at the method look at the methods of reformation in this culture. Do you know that later on, they got thrown into the furnace, right? I'll just kind of speed forward for you. They got thrown into the furnace. There was a fourth man in the fire, which is a pre-incarnate image of Jesus. Verse 25 says, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Do you know something? When you say no to this image, and I want to talk to you about some of you that need to say no to this image. When this image wants to come and mark itself on you, where you need to say no to this image, you know what? Sometimes you get thrown into a fire. It's a fire. It's the fire of consecration. When you say no to the image of darkness, you're saying yes to God, consecrate me. And that consuming really the consuming fire of God begins to touch your life. But you're not alone in that fire. There's a fourth man in that fire. There there was a fourth man in that fire. And that's where some of you get to know Jesus for for the first time in your life. Or some of you get to know Jesus in a way you've never gotten to know him before. You get to know him in the fire. You get to know Jesus in the fire when you say no to that spirit. You say no to that spirit and the fire of lowliness burns in your life and the fire of consecration and, the, and that, 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 that spirit of standing alone begins to work in your life. And I always say my girls all learned how to stand alone. They, every one of them, my daughters had to learn how to stand alone. They had to say no to that spirit and they had to sometimes feel like they were standing all by themselves. It's just me and you, God. You know, it's so interesting about these young Hebrews that they went into the fire together. But you know, their, their friend Daniel, you know, in the first chapter it said Daniel made up his mind. You remember that? It says Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself with a, the with, with a foods that they wanted to feed him. And it didn't say Daniel and his friends made up their mind. It said Daniel made up his mind all by himself. And sometimes you're going to have to make a decision yourself. Sometimes you're going to have to decide all by yourself and later you're going to find some other friends in the fire. Or later you'll find a friend that's decided on their own not to, not, to, not to defile himself, who said no to that image. You may have to say no to that image and be all alone and say no to that image, but you know later you're gonna, God's going to give you some other friends who said no to that image and you're going to find some fellowship. You're going you're to connect to some people in fellowship that you never would have connected to before. And you're going to discover people because, because you're alone, you go through the fire, God tests you, and all of a sudden, he was going to give you some other friends who, who also faced that same fire, that same temptation. And they, they came through the flame, so to speak, and you're going to be connected to them. You know, it takes somebody been through the fire to see somebody else who's been through the fire. And you find each other and you connect together. You know, the last part is so crazy. I said consecration is what God's method is. When, when Nebuchadnezzar saw that, them going through the fire like that, he made a decree. And he said this, this, this is the guy that just threw him in the fire for not bowing down to the image. Listen to this change in the king's heart. And I believe this is something God wants to do in a nation, in a culture. That the power of consecration, the power of people rejecting the image and saying, I'm not bowing down to this image. I'm not taking this identity on. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, says, He responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Notice how he said they yielded up their bodies. It's, it's not insignificant that he he's talking about bodies there. Yeah. Yeah. Bodies refers to, can relate to sexuality, can't it? He yielded up their bodies. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn from limb to limb. And their house is reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there's no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. They went from being thrown into the fire to having the king make a declaration that that, that their God was going to be honored because of the spirit of consecration. Their willingness to say no to that image. It's an amazing, it's amazing So we're talking about this image, this... And I talked about earlier how the, how the sequence works where, where the enemy... Look, look, at, look how the enemy targeted the woman, targeted the woman in the garden, got access to her spirit, changed, changed things, altered things, and then she accessed the man. It's the same thing happening today. It's the same way young men get taken out. Because once that, once, that, once that demonic spirit that identity spirit gets on a daughter, then she's, 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 she can use the power of her sexuality to, to activate and connect to that young man on, a, on that very low lust level. You with me on that? That's how that works. See, how does this image, how does the image, how does this image get stamped on somebody? You think about, well, it gets stamped on through sexual activity, sexual experience. Somebody gets involved in sexuality outside of God's covenant, and that begins to activate that part of their nature, and it's outside of God's covenant, and so that begins to imprint and create this identity based on sexual activity. That's one way. Another way is being exposed through pornography, through images that you see, where you can be, you don't even have to be involved at all, but you can see images, you can, you can partake, kind of feed on those images, and those, those images can can begin to activate and, and, and speak to you and, and declare your, what what, what, value, what your worth is, what your identity is in connection to your sexuality. Even pornography in young women is very powerful because it, when they see another woman uh, revealing herself that way, it, it just reinforces the message that, hey, look, this is, here's a daughter doing this and this is what your value is too. Oh, by the way, this is what your value is. By the way, this is what you need to adopt for your identity, your behavior identity. This is another way that this, this image can be stamped on your spirit is through early sexual experience that was unwelcome. It's something you didn't even want to have happen to you. Where somebody touches you as a young boy or young girl in the wrong way. Where that begins to awaken something in your life that you didn't want awakened. It was awakened in your life and all of a sudden it's like that demonic spirit wants to imprint and kind of awaken that in your life and then begin to say, this is your identity. This is, this is what's important about who you are. This is why this person touched you because this part of you is really important. And this part of your life is the most important part of your life. And so, so this thing happens to somebody and it begins to awaken them. And that image, that stamp, that mark begins to be pressed into their spirit. We've seen that all those different ways where this spirit stamps its mark on someone. Let me take you, and I want to talk about this this spirit out of Hosea chapter four, because there's a phrase I want to talk to you about just for a couple minutes. It's called the spirit of harlotry. I may have heard about the spirit of harlotry before. It's kind of a funny expression, isn't it? The spirit of harlotry, and the spirit of harlotry is an expression used it's in the Old Testament. In it's, 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 it's used to describe a nation or a people group that had left true allegiance and de- of, of devotion and dedication to God and gone after the other gods. In other words, in the Old Testament, there was the true the God's people that were worshiping God, and then, and then there were the other nations that were worshiping the false gods. And one of the things that God would say about Israel is if, if Israel, if God's people were faithful to himself, then Israel was like the bride and God was like the husband. Do you understand? Kind of it's like like God's the husband and this group of people is like the bride and God loves his bride and the bride is faithful to God and they're kind of married. But but if God's people were not faithful to God, God would say, You're like a harlot. You have run off, you have run off after other lovers. You are chasing other lovers. You are not being faithful to your husband God. So, they were using these parallels, all these symbolisms, in talking about this nation, the nation of Israel. But the same thing can be made, really, the parallel can be made for the nation, but it can be made for any woman. Because the same description can be, can be applied to any woman. The same traits that are discussed as behaviors to create a picture of, of what this is and how, how, how a woman would operate. So, let me, when we describe in, in the scripture here, Israel straying away from God, we're really, we really can look at it and say, this, is, this, this describes what a woman is like. And in a nation, if, if Israel was supposed to be a nation that was faithful to God, and supposed to be worshiping God in, 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 in truth and in fidelity, then when the nation did not do that and began to chase after these other false gods, these Baals and Asherahs and these false gods, and the way those gods were worshipped was with sexual immorality and temple prostitution and child sacrifice, when the nation would begin to worship those false gods, you can can bet that the, the behavior of the men and women in that same nation paralleled this larger symbolism. So the women themselves actually became like prostitutes. And you'll see this in Hosea chapter 4. Let's look at verse 11 here. It says, harlotry, wine, a new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray and they have played the harlot departing from their God. So you, so you hear this word, this, this expression called the spirit of harlotry. The spirit of harlotry is not some woman taking money on a street corner for sex. That's not the spirit of harlotry. The spirit of harlotry is where a woman gives something to try to get something. She's giving something to try to get something. This is, what, this, is, this is how this works. So if a daughter has her physical power of attraction to use to try to fill up the empty places of her heart. Suppose a daughter tries to fill the empty places of her heart with the glances of a thousand men. She has an empty heart. Her father didn't fill her heart. She's a young woman in this culture. She has this power of her sexuality. And she thinks, I'm going to use my sexuality to get what I want. I want this relationship with this young man. I would really like it to be permanent. So I'm going to use the power of my sexuality to try to get this relationship off off the ground. I'm going to start the relationship with it. I'm going to keep the relationship by using that sexuality. Do you see the trap? You start there and you you have to you have to stay there the rest of your life. That's why even a marriage, that's why even a marriage that starts on the wrong foundation, on a physical-based foundation, that marriage, that basis for that marriage starts there and it stays there. You see how damaging that daughter isn't gonna be free. She's gonna have to perform, she's gonna have to, if she wins him with her sexuality, she has to keep him with her sexuality. That's why God wanted the relationships to start on a relational level, a personal relationship, a spirit oneness, and then a soul friendship next. And the third stage is that physical oneness, which comes in marriage. That's why God says we don't do any of the physical stuff before. We we de-emphasize the physical stuff because we want the relationship to be started with a spiritual oneness and a soul friendship oneness. Is so critical. Otherwise, a daughter is trapped into this situation where she wins some man, she she gains the attention of him through her physicalness, and, and then she keeps him through that physicalness, and even if they marry, she's always thinking, well, what what is the foundation of our relationship? Why does he really want me? Why does he really like me? And she has to get into maybe performance and the pressure to keep up with the Joneses and keep operate all the operations so she so cuz it's all about her body. What about just their relationship? No trust, no love, no cherishing. I mean, this is the damage that, that happens. So the spirit of harlotry is that spirit. Now let me let me I want to look at it with you Isaiah 47, okay? We've been talking about this need. Let's Put your finger there and let's go to Proverbs 30 real quick because I want you to see a couple verses here in Proverbs 30. This is this woman that has this spirit on her. It's the adulterous woman. This is Proverbs 30, verse 20. It says this about the adulterous woman. It says, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Now, isn't that a weird verse? This is right in the middle of Proverbs, right there at the end of Proverbs. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done no wrong. So what is that about? What is that saying? This is like a window picture into the desperation of a daughter. This is a woman, I mean, here she is. This is not about a trip to McDonald's. This is not like a trip, this is not about a trip to the fast food restaurant. This is a woman, and this is not about a sexual activity either. This is, this is talking about the desire of a daughter's heart. This is the longing of a daughter's heart. This is, this, this, this is the design of God. A daughter is designed to be loved and valued. If you're a young woman here, you are designed to be loved and cherished and valued and protected and honored. You are designed. And that was supposed to happen in your family with your father and your brothers and then and, and then transferred to the husband that God would give you. That you were never to be apart from that kind, of be, that kind of atmosphere where you are cherished and valued and honored and you hear words of blessing and you have non-sexual touch of blessing and attention given to you in your life where you're thriving as a daughter. You are loved and thriving and you're receiving those things. And I believe God's community is supposed to be, the church is supposed to, carry that on and continue that and reinforce what you've gotten in your family. Or in the case where you haven't, then restore and heal you and replace what you did not yet. But this shows the desperation of a daughter. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. She doesn't care about the family she's going to wreck. She doesn't care about the children who are going to grow up without their dad because of the divorce that's going to happen in this adulterous affair that she has with some other man. She's so focused on herself. It's her. It's her and her needs. And she actually thinks that this man, who has already promised himself to some other woman, is going to break that promise with her and then make a new promise to her and then stay with her. And she's going to believe his new, the new promise to her. You see how crazy that thinking can be? That's how crazy it can be. Look at Proverbs 31.30. It says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. What does that say? That's God's heart for a daughter. Charm is deceitful. Charm is that spirit or that, that other identity has been stamped on her, and she thinks this is my answer, my charm. Look, I've got, I've got what it takes it's my charm. It's my seduction. The scripture says that's deceitful. It lies, it lies to a daughter. It says, daughter, use your charm to get what you want. You've got to use your charm. Use the power of your sexuality, that charm, to get those things that you know you want to have. You can use this to start a relationship. You can use this to keep that relationship going. It's all your dreams are going to come true. It's deceitful. The scripture says, charm is deceitful. It lies to you. It makes promises. It, they will not be kept. They will not be kept. How many have done this? Really, you've done it. You've initiated a relationship, and you know it ends up nowhere. Come on. You know this. It's a lie. It's a, and beauty is vain. Beauty puts you in the center of the universe. There, a daughter really doesn't want to be in the center of the universe. I mean, how boring. Life is all about me about you liking me, liking my body, liking, it's all about me. A daughter wants to be on an adventure teamed up with somebody to do something for the kingdom of God. There's something in a daughter's heart that wants to be running in the same direction and she's part of a team and, and the, 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 the end result isn't her. It's all about her. Well, the spirit of harlotry makes her the center of her universe. Now we're going to look at that, that scripture in, in Isaiah. Isaiah. 47. Now, this is talking about Babylon. It's talking about a nation. It's not talking about... It's describing this nation, this, this fallen nation. But it also describes it the same thing. This is, 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 is a parallel to a, a woman's heart. Because every nation is like a woman in the Scripture. When it talks about a nation, it talks about... You can, it's, a, it's a parallel to a woman. And I'll just read this to you and, and think about it in terms of a, of a woman and a woman in the culture today, and I'll just make a couple of comments. It says, "Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the, of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Have you noticed that, that more and more the daughters are getting harder and harder hearts? Have you experienced that in your own life maybe, where you have to harden your heart and harden yourself? To, to deal with what's going on in your life. How many have experienced that in your life where you have to make your heart hard almost? Like, I have to shut down. I've got to shut down. You'll no longer be called tender and delicate. You might as well prophesy over a generation. I mean, you see these hard-hearted daughters and you see it on their face because their heart can't lie to their face after a while. After a while, what's in your heart cannot lie to your face anymore. And what you see on the face of a daughter, you see that look. You see that look like say, that look, where she's saying, somebody lied to me. Somebody has been lying to me. I was promised this and this and this. If I did what I, I've done everything the culture has told me to do. I have given myself, I've done everything the culture has told me to do. But everything the culture has promised me has not come true. And then she looks at you like this and says, someone is lying to me. Who is going to call the culture to account? Well, the church is supposed to. The church is supposed to say, enough is enough. We're not going to have our daughters lied to anymore. We're not going to have their images and their identities changed and then have it access the young men to make them bound to their lust for the rest of their lives. We're going to start talking about it. But this is describing a nation, but it describes a daughter's heart at the same time. The parallels are so amazing to me. Take millstones, verse 2, and grind the meal. What's that talking about? That's talking about being a slave, chained up. You ever see the cattle on the millstones where they chain up an oxen and they go around and they grind the wheat? It's like a daughter who's become a slave. She's chained up on a treadmill and can't get off. And you, you talk to daughters that, that have taken this image, this identity has been stamped on them, and they get involved in a situation and they don't know what to do. They, they can't get out of it. They feel trapped. They feel like I crossed the boundary and now the spirit of darkness every day tells me I'm a little whore. Every day that spirit is speaking to me and I'm trying to find my way back to God. And if they don't have the shame broken off their life, do you understand what happens? You become a slave right in the middle of the church. You become a daughter who is trying to earn the, the pleasure of God When she's filled with shame and everything in her feels like God hates her. That's called being a slave. God did not come for slaves. He came for sons and daughters. But the spirit of shame has to be broken. That's where the freedom starts coming. When that spirit of shame is broken and the freedom of God begins to move in a daughter, and a son's heart, everything changes because for the first time in their lives they can relate to God as a daughter. That God doesn't hate me. It was the enemy who lied to me. It was the enemy who lured me across the line. The enemy who wanted to stamp this false identity on me. The enemy who promised things to me. And he never, he never, they were all lies. They were all lies. They left me broken and empty. And remove, look at verse 2 it says, remove your veil, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg. Your nakedness will be uncovered, your shame will be exposed. Exactly what's happened. It's like a whole generation's n- nakedness has been exposed. And just corporately, what we see, I mean, this, the, the exposing of nakedness in our culture, the exaltation of nakedness and sexuality. Look at verse 5. It says, Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you will no longer be called the queen of the kingdoms. Verse 7 says, Yet you said, I will be a queen forever. These things you did not consider, or nor did you remember the outcome of them. Look at verse 8. Now this is so much a daughter's heart it has been stamped with this image. This is this, this, is this spirit. Now listen to, the, listen to what she says about her life and herself. Now then, hear this, you sensual one who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am. And there is no one besides me. I will not sit as a widow or or, or no loss of children. But these two things will come upon you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure, in spite of your your many sorceries, in spite of your great power of your spells. Isn't it interesting it talks about the sorceries and the spells? Isn't it like a daughter who has that spirit on her? She kind of uses the power of her sexuality to kind of almost cast a spell between her and this young man. Like, I have power over you. I'm going to cast a spell. I'm going to use my, it's almost like my sorcery. It's almost like a witchcraft controlling Jezebelian spirit using the power of sexuality to connect with someone. It leaves them broken. It says suddenly these things come and break her. Look at verse 11. Here's what happens. This is what happens to a daughter. How many daughters have, have seen this happen to them? It says, But evil will come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Evil will come upon you. You won't know how to charm away the evil. And disaster will fall on you, which you cannot atone. And destruction, about which you do not know, will come on you suddenly. How many daughters have been promised this thing? If you take this image on, if you operate with this as your, as your identity then you will get this relationship. This will happen for you, and this will happen to you. And all of a sudden, everything goes sideways. Everything falls apart. And all of a sudden, the realization of what you've done. I gave away this. I gave away that. He lied to me. This young man betrayed me. This, he made all these promises. He said all these things to me. And now he's gone. And I'm sitting here with nothing. And in a lot of cases, for young women, they gave everything they could give to this young man and got nothing back, and he got everything he wanted and had to give nothing. And now, you're, now you have guilt and shame and loss and fear, and you have another negative sexual experience to go into, the, into, the, into, your, into your backpack, which you think you can carry into your future and, and walk down an aisle and flip a switch and have everything be happy. That's the enemy's work. Let me contrast the difference between a daughter and a harlot. The spirit of harlotry. Just, just sort of a. I just want you to. I kind of made a list. There's, there's the spirit of someone who's had that demonic imprint on them. And again, I'm not trying to. I don't want to blame you for that because I understand that the enemy comes and wants to stamp that on you, and he, he's very, pretty, he's very cute about it. He doesn't say I'm the devil and I want to, I want to put a black mark on your soul, and it's going to ruin your life. I mean, you don't. He's very cute about it. He says, daughter, I I understand you have some dreams for relationship. Right? Isn't that, this is how he starts. I understand you have some dreams about relationships. And I have the answer for you. Have I got the answer for you? If you let me mark you with this identity of sexuality, those dreams can come true. Just take a look on Friday night. You see all the girls in the dance clubs and the bars and and driving around. They're all with somebody. And don't they look happy? That's for you too. I'm I'm getting ready to give that to you. All you have to do is bow down to the image. All you have to do is bow down to the image. And your dreams will come true. So they say, okay. Okay. And they don't realize it's the beginning of their dreams being destroyed. That every dream they ever had is being destroyed. Now I'm describing this, remember I'm talking to you man, I'm training you to be a husband and father. I'm talking to you about what's being loosed against the daughters. So when that spirit comes to you, remember when Joseph, remember when Mrs. Potiphar came after Joseph? Do you remember he was in in Genesis 46? We don't have time to go there. But do you remember the story? It says that spirit came after him day after day and said, lie with me. Do you know who Potiphar was? Potiphar was the captain of the bodyguard of the, the guy that was, they were the SWAT team that was supposed to protect the Pharaoh from assassination. Well, if he was the captain of the SWAT team, you can imagine he was a muscle-bound guy pumping weights in front of the mirror. He had his trophy bride, probably Mrs. Potiphar, who was really a babe. But guess what? He probably didn't meet her needs. He probably didn't communicate with her and love her and cherish her and value her. Their relationship was probably sexually based in Egypt, you can imagine. And she was an empty-hearted daughter who had that mark stamped on her. And her value was her sexuality. And that was the way she was going to connect to anyone. See, once this imprint gets on you, you begin to create a habit. You develop a way of operating which is, is part of your soul. And, the, and the, enemy, the enemy wants to cement you in that and, and, and fix you in that so it doesn't change. So every place you go, your connecting point is your sexuality. You know how much faith it takes a daughter to say, I am going to reject that image, and I'm going to trust you, God, that who I am as a person will be my connecting point from this day forward for the rest of my life. I am never again going to use the power of my sexuality. See, Mrs. Potiphar, that spirit came after Joseph. You know what it said he did, guys? He ran. You know, I, you know what I want for the young man? To get a revelation of this spirit, of what's been happening to the daughters. So when that spirit, when that spirit comes after you, young man, and says, lie with me, you see a little girl standing there with a broken heart. You see a little girl standing there waiting for her daddy to say, I love you, you're so special to me. That you don't see that that sensual, that's a daughter who's been damaged by darkness. That image has been a daughter who's been assaulted by the power of darkness. She's been lied to. She's been taken advantage of and that demonic imprint has been stamped on her soul. And the only way she feels like she can get a relationship is through this physical. That's what I want you to see as a young man. No matter where that image is coming from, whether it jumps you on the internet like an like a ambush, wherever it is, you're seeing there's a daughter there, it looks like she's saying I want you, but she's saying I've been broken, I've been destroyed by this spirit. I want you to see a little girl who never got very many hugs from her father. It's what we need to see. We need to rehearse it in our spirit. So much that we we say no to her. We say, look, I'm going to say no to you, daughter, because I love who you are. And I love my destiny. And I love my generation. And I love my nation. And I love the the, the divine destiny of my nation to the nations of the earth. That's why I'm going to say no. The reason I'm going to say no to you, daughter, is because I believe in, the, in, in, in my destiny, I'm gonna say no for you. I'm gonna say no for my destiny. I'm gonna say no for my generation. I am not gonna bow down to the image. Here's the list. I will do it real quick, and then I'm just gonna have a really quick prayer. I'm, I'm, I expect you to run up to the altar here. The spirit of harlotry is self centered, where a daughter is other centered. I want to make contrast all the way. Daughters think about somebody else. They're, they're looking for someone else. They're thinking about someone else. And this, if the spirit of harlotry has been stamped on you, all movement comes toward you. It's like attention to me. With a daughter, the movement is outward. She is interested in movement goes to others. Attention goes to other. The spirit of harlotry, the value is sexual external. For a daughter, the value is personal and internal. Even with children, the spirit of harlotry, often children are a threat or a competition in, in, in terms of attention coming to her. Children are a threat and a competition in terms of attention coming to her, where with a daughter, children are an extension of her being and they are loved and valued and cherished. Spirit of harlotry, very aware of self, a daughter, very aware of others. Spirit of harlotry takes, gets for herself, consumes, Spirit of a daughter gives, gives to others, nurtures. Spirit of harlotry, the connecting point is sexual, sensual, creating sexual tension in every relationship, pulling on people. Spirit of a daughter, the connecting point is personal, relational. There's no sexual tension. Imagine there's peace and grace in relating to her. You feel at rest. You don't don't feel agitated as a young man there's a, 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 a she's attractive without pulling or taking the spirit of harlotry again is that control using the power of her sexuality to manipulate where the spirit of a daughter is this over overwhelming sense of trust and reliance on god spirit of harlotry is marked by deception spirit of a daughter by truth spirit of harlotry marked by seduction and sensuality spirit of a daughter marked by purity spirit of a spirit of harlotry after a time there's a hardness of heart a callousness in her soul usually out of self protection with a spirit of a daughter there's that gentleness again that softness that gentleness spirit of harlotry it's predatory it seeks it is it pursues it hunts it 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 it, it, it wants it pursues where a daughter is waiting she's trusting she's giving she does not strive Spirit of harlotry, there's a death of the maternal spirit. Sacrifices children for her selfish interests. Where a daughter loves, and there's a sacrifice of self for her children instead. Complete opposite. Okay, this is the generation. This is the woman at the well generation. Remember the woman at the well? What did Jesus say? The father seeks those to worship him in spirit and in truth this is the generation of the spirit generation the experience we want experience we want worship we want to have a touch from god but you know what god said it doesn't work unless we clean our unless we are willing to look at our past so i just want to let's stand together as we as we close here